are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. I'm Chris and whether you're watching this morning's meeting at, in your home, in your bedroom, at a university watch party or even later on in the week, I want you to know that it's great that you're connecting with us today. At Hope Church we love Jesus, we love his word, the Bible and believe that his spirit reveals himself to us today. So as you've been listening and watching, my prayer is that God will speak to you today, whether you know Jesus or not. I'm uh, praying that you will feel his presence with you today. This morning, we're in the book of Galatians chapter four, and uh, we're gonna be reading from verse eight right to the end of the chapter. We've been working through the book and pulling out each week how grace impacts every area of our life. This morning's talk I've called The Fight of Faith and it's a bit of an odd title but hopefully it will make sense as we work through the chapter. Like the last few weeks this middle section of the book is complicated and confusing and so this morning we're going to break it into four parts. We'll read a bit, talk a bit, then read a bit more and so on. Just before we do, imagine walking along a lovely hot sandy beach and as you walk you see something glittering in the sand you you go over to it and you pick it up and you find that it's a beautiful and intricately designed watch at that moment depending on what you believe you will either look at the sea the sand maybe you look at the waves and think wow isn't it amazing that over millions of years, the sea has smashed together against these shores, hitting particles of sand together and forming tiny cogs and parts, which over many more years have come together, been brought by the waves to make this amazingly beautiful watch. Wow, isn't nature great? Or you might look at it another way. You might handle the watch in your hands and see how amazingly complicated it is and conclude that this must have been designed. You might even look for marks of a designer, some kind of tag or logo, and perhaps you, you might look up uh, along the beach and, and wonder, I wonder who this belongs to. Now, as an analogy, it has lots of pitfalls, but hopefully it makes the point that throughout the world, people can look at exactly the same thing and yet conclude different things from it. Those conclusions come from prior beliefs. If you believe there is no God, then even though the world, your body, even your eyeballs are far more intricately designed than the watch, you will look at the world and conclude a number of things. Equally, if you believe there is a God, you will see evidence for that God literally everywhere. And you will look at the world, your body, your eyeballs differently. I mention this because often people will say seeing is believing. If I saw a miracle, if God revealed himself to me, if this or that happened, then I would believe in God. But the reality is that that is rarely true. Many, many people throughout history have seen miracles. They look at the intricacy of nature and the universe and they rationalize 
the existence for God away. Seeing is not believing. What you see is interpreted already by what you believe. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. When people become a Christian, it doesn't come by scientific rationality. Actually, it comes because first God does a work in your life. God breathes his spirit into you, gives you the gift of faith. Logic and rationality certainly can play a part in the journey, but ultimately God first reveals himself to you and does a work in your heart. Human reason isn't enough alone. Faith is also not wishful thinking. It's not just crossing your fingers and thinking hard enough about something and hoping that it might come true. No, faith is believing that what God says is true, is true. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance or certainty about what we do not see. And the reason I've called this talk the fight of faith is because the Galatians had many battle zones of faith. Paul writes this letter actually because they were losing the fight of faith. And one key area was that they had started to think that faith in Jesus alone wasn't enough and they needed to add rule keeping and false religious duty to be accepted by God. They thought that how you behaved and how you looked on the outside was more important than your heart attitude on the inside. In another of book that Paul wrote, he encourages those who believe to fight the good fight of faith. And so that's why we've called this talk the fight of faith. Because like the Galatians, we can get sidetracked and knocked off track. Our faith can take knocks along the way. And in this chapter, Paul highlights four battle zones of faith. So here they are. And we're going to take each one, one at a time, by reading a bit of the passage and then talking a bit more about it. So four fights of faith. And the first one we look at is grace versus legalism. Let's uh, read from verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you. Brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. So there you go, grace versus legalism. So grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's unearned, unmerited, undeserved favour and blessing to you, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has already done. It's acceptance by God as a gift. Whereas legalism is the idea that following religious rules is the way to find forgiveness and favour from God. This says, well, I'm good enough on my own. I don't need Jesus or the church. And if God doesn't want me just as I am, then he's not worth it. I need to do things. And as I do them, then I will be accepted by God. And Paul is correcting that thinking throughout this book. And in this part of the chapter, Paul highlights this legalistic religious rule keeping. In verse 10, he talks about how they observe months and seasons and years. He says, you're following religious days and ceremonies and he's telling them off. And even questioning if he wasted his time with them when he shared the gospel with them. 
and because that's what they were doing and they were doing it because they were getting legalistic they were following and doing these things in order to be accepted by God and Paul is saying no come on you don't need to follow those Jewish ceremonies anymore whilst anything we do can be done in faith it's easy for Christians to even enjoy festivals and seasons like Christmas, Easter, Good Friday, Lent and so on and all these things they become dead religious duty-bound meetings rather than joyous occasions. When I grew up you know you could never really go shopping on a Sunday and, and yet Jesus was regularly told off for doing things on a Sabbath. When challenged he said well the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. It is a grace gift all these things are grace gifts to us to enjoy, including meeting together, uh, taking communion, praying, Bible reading, giving our attendance. All these things are grace gifts to us that we can enjoy. And the Galatians, they were getting into religious observance and rule keeping as a way to be accepted by God. Let's make sure that we don't do the same. So it's good to think, do you think, well, if I don't do this thing this morning this bible reading or this prayer that i'm going to have a bad day because if you do that's religion faith says no i want to do it because i get to spend time with god regardless of how my day unfolds whatever you do do it in faith and god calls us to life in the full so let's read our bible and believe that god will speak to you but do it because you get to not because you have to so the first battle zone is to remember that everything we have in Christ is a grace gift given for us to enjoy and not given to enslave us. The second battle zone is comfort versus difficulty because it's so easy to follow God when it's all easy. But what about when life is tough? So he goes on at the end of verse 12. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you and we didn't know this before, but he goes on and says, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, it seems that Paul first preached to the Galatians because he got ill. And maybe he stayed there longer than he was meant to. Maybe he couldn't go somewhere else. We're not really sure. But for the first time in the book, we find out why he was there. Even though he was ill, his illness led to their salvation. And we don't know what the illness exactly was. You know, some people think it might have been something to do with his, with his eyes. Because um, he says, oh, you would have gouged out your eyes for me and given them to me. And, and later on in chapter six, he talks about the large letters that he's writing with, but we don't know. What we do know is that this illness seemed to be severe as it was a trial for them. Uh, perhaps it was hard for them to cope with him or to look at him. We don't know, but what we do know is they welcomed him in as an angel of God. Having faced great difficulty and having had his plans change, Paul, he didn't give up, but trusted in God and the result was salvation for many. It was multiple church plants. It was good news being spread. So, another question, what about you? How do you handle setbacks? Is it with anger, fear, frustration, apathy, tears, self-pity? Oh, life's difficult. Does God really love me? Does he care? 
it's a real faith battle this area and it's challenging paul might well have experienced all of those feelings and expressed them but he won the battle that's what we know he wasn't stopped by difficult circumstances he accepted help from the churches in galatia and support and he was welcomed in anyway and god used him on another occasion we find out that paul and silas were beaten and locked up in prison and again the result that was that people got saved and uh, now here paul gets sick he's stuck in galatia and people are getting saved and you know what jesus never promised a trouble-free life he, in fact he said in this world you will have many troubles but he goes on to say take heart because i've overcome the world you know we live in a fallen world and trouble will come through the devil's schemes through our sin from others through the natural disasters of life through pandemics even trouble will come life will rarely turn out as you expect it too and sometimes that at the very moment when we should run to god we have the wrong attitude and instead we run away from him so we need to be encouraged to come to god who has and come to jesus who has overcome the world like in uh, our message a few weeks ago mark said cast your anxiety onto him because he cares for you you know we're a people of prayer and sometimes we pray and life gets a bit better and sometimes we pray and it's nothing changes and sometimes we pray and life even gets worse and all of this is a faith battle if there are difficulties in your life it doesn't mean that god doesn't love you and it doesn't mean that he doesn't care jesus talks about uh, seed falling on the ground and he mentions about how some seed grows up but then weeds overpower it and choke it and he talks about how this is the troubles that life can come and how it can choke out the good news of the gospel this is a faith battle come on let's not let god's good work in our life be choked out by the troubles of this life instead let's be a people who accept support like paul did who welcome people in and who trust in him anyway throughout these difficult times what about the third battle then battle number three battle zone three god's truth versus satan lies see that the false teachers in galatia were not harmless but actually were wolves in sheep's clothing they were out to do harm and so paul says this in verse 17 those people are zealous to win you over but for no good what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them it is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always not just when i'm with you my dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. <laughs> he's, uh, he's writing this letter because he is away from them. And instead of trusting in God's truth, they are being deceived and believing the lies told them throughout the book actually we've seen that other religious people have been telling the galatians to follow the religious rules as a way of gaining god's acceptance they are trying to shut them off from paul and ultimately away from jesus they had come to destroy the church but instead of doing that by shutting it down they do that by leading them away from god's truth and paul's perplexed and wishes he was there to put it right and to help them you know 
Often that's how Satan works. He doesn't always take you out of a situation, but instead twists the truth. He makes a good thing look bad. Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve um, in Genesis, God said to them, you can eat anything in the whole garden apart from that one tree. You can enjoy it all, the wildlife, the plants, the fruit, everything apart from the one tree. And then the serpent comes along and says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Satan took a truth and he twisted it. And this is often how Satan's lies work. He takes something good and he twists it. And we need to be on our guard against false teaching and false agendas. And we need to be on our guard against Satan's lies. Not everything you read online that is billed as Christian teaching is true. Some of it is wrong. And we need to be able to discern truth and avoid error. We also need to discern um, the wisdom given by our culture because it will take good things created by God and twist them. It will say, don't enjoy it like this, but enjoy it like this instead. Uh, that happens with culture's view on relationships, on sex, on marriage, on money, and on lots of different things. Knowing what the Bible says helps us. And we need to be wise it's why God gave shepherds to the flock, elders to the church, you know, to help navigate and discern God's truth from Satan's lies. What lies, I wonder, here's a question for you, what lies about yourself or about the church or about God have you swallowed? You know, it's a faith fight that we face to trust that what God says is true is true instead of believing in Satan's lies and his twists. The last one is promise versus human effort. I just want to give you a warning up front that the rest of this chapter is tricky, especially if you don't know the story that Paul refers to. But don't worry, I will unpack it. So let's read it first. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who have never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, so that's the end of chapter four. And like I said, it's, it's tricky. And if you've never read Genesis or, or heard the story of Abraham, then it wouldn't really make much sense. So let's just summarize it. We're talking about the fourth fight, the fight of faith, trusting in God's promises versus our own human effort. 
And Abraham, he was married to Sarah and Sarah was barren, so they had no children. And God promised that he would bless them and give them a child and that through that child, every nation in the world would be blessed. Abraham at this moment in time was 75 years old and 10 years went by and still there was no child. So he's now 85 and Abraham decided to give God a hand. So Sarah said, well, why don't you have sex with my slave girl called Hagar, who probably would not have had a say in the matter. She'll have a baby and we'll tell the world it's ours. That was their solution. And that's what Abraham did. He had sex with Hagar, the slave girl, and they called the child Ishmael. Then he was delighted and said, hey, I've solved God's problem and now he can fulfill his promises to us. Abraham trusted in his own human effort, which led to sinful behavior instead of God's promises. And God said, no, that's not right. You shouldn't have done it. You should have trusted me. In the end, when Abraham was 100, so after another 15 years, God, who is gracious anyway, gives Sarah a baby. This was the baby of promise. And uh, they called that child Isaac. So Ishmael was the son of the slave girl and Isaac was the son of God's promise. Ultimately, Abraham sinned. That's what putting faith in ourselves means, trusting in our own human effort instead of God. Abraham sinned and ends up sending Hagar and Ishmael into the desert. More than that, Ishmael and Isaac, the, the two sons, had great tension between them. In fact, their descendants to this day are still at odds against each other in the Middle East and fighting. And we can look at Abraham and think, man, you, you fool. But hindsight is always a beautiful thing. Actually, it's easy for all of us to trust in our own human effort instead of trusting in God's promises and his timing. Hebrews says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. God's promises come through faith and patience. Abraham, he took matters into his own hands and he sinned by trusting in his own efforts. And here Paul equates that to what we do when we seek acceptance by God through the things that we do, instead of as a free gift of grace. When we believe that being accepted by God comes through human effort, we sin. And we become children of the slave woman who ultimately get discarded and thrown out into the desert. Instead, we're called to be children of promise. And this comes by believing that God's grace, his free, unmerited, unearned and undeserved gift comes by Jesus alone. So another question for you then, where do you find it easy to take matters into your own hands? You know, in what areas perhaps are you struggling to be patient? These are good things to dwell on. And where have you sinned in order to get something that you wanted? You know, Abraham's sin, though, was not too big for God to overcome. He, first of all, we find out in Genesis that God actually looks after Ishmael and Hagar. He doesn't leave them discarded, even though Abraham had messed up. And even for Abraham and Sarah, after 25 years, God provided his promised miraculous son. Even though Abraham was as good as dead uh, when his son was born, God delivered on his promise and continues to deliver on his promises that he would bless all nations through that family. 2,000 years after Isaac, Jesus was born as a descendant of Isaac, a miraculous son. 
who comes in spite of our sin to forgive and restore and honour and fill us with his spirit. You know, when you put your trust in him, you are called a child of God and you have a great inheritance to come. You are accepted by God just as you are and you are given the gift of faith. Like Abraham, you might have sinned along the way. Like Hagar, you might have been sinned against and you might have messed up or you might have really been treated badly, but God's grace is so big that he's able to impact into your life and fill you with his spirit and help you to know his love and his presence in your life right now. God even now is able to forgive you and still he delivers on his promises of accepting you into his presence and blessing you with his grace. We're called to be a people of promise as ultimately trusting our own human effort is like sin and it will lead to us being enslaved and not free. Following Jesus is not always easy and so we're called to fight um, the fight of faith, the good fight of faith. Let's, let's pray and we'll head back into worship. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us the gift of faith. And I just pray now that you would fill us all, wherever we are in our houses, with your presence and your spirit. I pray, Lord God, would you give us all the gift of faith and help us um, to, to fight the good fight of faith. Help us, Lord God, in all those different areas that we might be struggling in to trust in you. And so I just pray, Lord God, would you be, be with us, fill us with your presence, help us to know you with us today. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10am. Head to hopechurchgilford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.